Hey everyone, if you're a fan of Odd and Bizarre TV, you can join myself, Kevin, and my co-host Ethan as we host our new podcast, Primetime Oddities, available on Apple and Google Podcasts, coming to other podcast platforms very soon. Hey y'all, we are back. This is In Star Trek We Trust, and we're here to talk about Star Trek Voyager, 25th anniversary of its premiere. My name is Ethan, I'm joined by... You're joined by Kevin. And we're going to look back at Voyager. We are. Now my perspective here is that, clearly I am a Star Trek fan, but I had very limited exposure to Voyager, so... Kevin was nice enough to provide me with a uh, representative list of episodes to watch. About eight or ten episodes. For you kind of went, but you kind of went above and beyond. I did go above and beyond. Yeah. And you so, I think um, I'm, I'm excited. I, I think I may continue watching it because it started to get me. Yeah, so... Here's how I know what a Star Trek show has gotten me. When I hear the theme song, mm-hmm. and I get that like, warm, nice feeling of... Ah, you know what it is? It's comfort food. It's, it's comfort food yes. in a lot of ways. And, and the theme song, by the end, the theme song was felt very comfort comforting to me. So I have so many thoughts about Voyager because I am old enough to remember watching it as it was being broadcast. Um, the bit of some trivia here for you, since you like TV as well. The night of the premiere was actually the night that UPN premiered. Voyager launched the old UPN network. Well, see, that I knew, but I never watched it somehow. Yeah. Um, but I do remember a lot of marketing around the launch of UPN. So, it's interesting to... This show is very interesting to me in a lot of ways. Um, particularly now, rather than back then, because, you know, as we've done this podcast over the last couple of years, we've definitely taken time, we've addressed haters, particularly the haters of New Trek, because that's the Trek that we primarily cover at the moment. Um and one of the things we've said about particularly Discovery is how eventually that show is going to outgrow the sort of initial hate, wave of hate that the fans throw at it. You know, and it may take a while, but we're eventually going to get there. And the reason I bring this up is because back then, even though the internet was sort of in a little bit of it, in a bit of its infancy and connecting with people online was sort of becoming a new thing. I can tell you with experience that Voyager was not a well-liked Trek show back then. It's only in the years later that it has become very much loved and very much appreciated by fans. Like when people used to, you know, cry out the death of Trek or when Trek just began to kind of lose its quality, they would always put Voyager and Enterprise in the same in the same bucket and say these are the two shows. This is when the drop in quality begins with hmm. Voyager. But what was the what was the state of Star Trek when Voyager premiered? The state of Star Trek then, so for productions, but it was very, it was still very much popular. It was sort of ascending into its um, peak of popularity as we were approaching the 30th yeah. anniversary in '96. So I'm curious to, on your take on the show because I'm I'm. As you sort of discuss these specific episodes that you want to cover, like 
I kind of divide the show up into specific eras, and oh. I'm very curious to see like what your thoughts on these episodes are and the kind of conversation we can get out of this. Because especially now, since you're kind of a in a way Voyager newbie, but um, yes. So uh, here are my thoughts in general. Yeah. I sort of had the impression that this was just Next Generation Part Two, in that they sort of made a premise that suggested the show would be different, but it never really was, and it was yeah. just them still... But I didn't find that to be true at all, because I feel that the the circumstances of their situation, being in the Delta Quadrant, were constantly, um, you know, a major factor in the show. So that made it very different. Right, and I never thought about this until a few years ago. It's 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 Battlestar Galactica, in a lot of ways. It's, it's the Battlestar Galactica premise. It's interesting that you say that because yeah. especially when they came across um, the Equinox, there's a whole mm-hmm. Battlestar um, bit where they come across another ship and this ship has turned totally just, you know, um, evil and yep. just pure what's survival. That, what's what's that episode out. called? Is it, what's it called again? Razor? Is that the one? Name I think so, yeah. I think yeah. Razor, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's even a TV movie or something. I don't remember exactly what Which act So... Uh, Weird, and there's a Trek connection there as well. It stars Michelle Forbes, who played Ensign Rowe on Next Generation. Ah. So. Yes. Um, well, I really thought that... Um, another thing is that I never knew that they had this other sort of people from another ship, from the Maquis, yep. who were more of like independent freedom fighter types. Yeah. And that... So you had this, um, also the conflict of them being used to doing things very differently. Yeah. Now, most, or if not all of them, went to Starfleet Academy, so it wasn't that big of a stretch. Yep. Um, but I really did think that, that th- those times where they were sort of battling with, should they be more Maquis-like or more yeah. Federation-like, were fantastic. I, I think... An issue I had with that early on was that I feel like that wasn't something that they really capitalized on enough, particularly in the early days. It, to me, always felt like the conflict between the Maquis crew and the Starfleet crew was kind of resolved too quickly, right? Like, if this were done today, this would go on for multiple seasons, right? But it seems like... Right, well, Alliances that I watched was interesting because you had, I think it was Paris... Making these secret contacts to um, the, this alien group yep. behind everyone's back. So that one, I think, played it up the most. Yeah. Well, let, uh, so let's kind of go down the list here. So with the episodes okay. that you watched, if we could. So the first one that the first one on this list that you watched was Alliances, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, to give a little backstory. The Kazon were these were the recurring villains of the show in the first two seasons, and they were not very well received among the fan community. They were kind of considered like Klingon knockoffs or Klingon light. Um, they weren't. A, they weren't. I mean, in all, they were not a very good villain in a lot of respects. But I think that what the Kazon did as a villain was they really kind of brought out the types of conversations within the crew that you are discuss that you're talking about. Do we do things more like the Maquis? Do we do things more like Starfleet? Because this is not, we can't Starfleet our way out of this in a lot of ways. It seems like. Right. Although that's what Janeway, although it's interesting because that's what Janeway wants to do at first. Yeah. 
then she's sort of swayed to try out the other way, but then at the end, she comes back around and just says, uh, there may be no rules here, but we have to rely on our principles. So she goes yeah. essentially back to where she was. Um, but the thing that I noticed right away here is that Janeway is, I guess because of the circumstances, but she's way more dictatorial yep. than any of the other captains that I've seen. And it starts right away where she has to say, like, this isn't a democracy, I can't rule by consensus. Right. And um, even though she respects, um, uh, what's his name? Chakotay. Yeah, she respects Chakotay, mm. but she only let him push so far in his ideas before she just uh, slams right. him down. It causes a lot of conflict, right? Throughout. And and by the but way, one thing that she's great at, which I think all good Trek is, mm-hmm. is it's about watching people use a process for making an important decision. Mm-hmm. As as boring as that sounds to say, right? She has to decide whether or not to make an alliance with the Borg. Yep. And so what does she do? Well, she goes and talks to people that she respects about it. Yep. And asks questions, and then comes to a decision. And um, I thought that was fantastic. And I really, obviously, the little throwbacks are fun. But when she was counseling with Tuvok, and he mentioned Spock's alliance with the Klingons, that was pretty cool. Well, the thing about that is that I love the I, I love the fact that she. You can tell, like, even in the initial discussion she's having with Seska and Majkala about the Alliance, that she's just really not into this. Because deep down, it's almost like... It's not that she doesn't want to do it. I think she knows that this is just not going to work at all. Because yeah. she knows what kind of people the Kazon are. And she's just saying, like, I... Right, so I don't think it's a case of like her just doing it because she feels as if she has to. I don't think that truly she believed it was going to work. And, right. Yeah. And they did make sort of outrageous demands. They did. They did. But I think in a lot of ways, like in that particular conference room scene, she was kind of too quick to pull the plug on that. <laughs> she was too quick yeah, to but... walk out to walk out the door on that, right? Yeah, but they yeah. did also make it yeah. easy by making um, the leader super sexist. Yeah, like, I won't listen to a woman tell me what to do. So it made it very easy. For but her. at the same time, like when Kala says, and ex- you're talking about the exchange of crew member line. Yeah. At this point in the series, this is the third time we meet him, and his goal is to capture that vessel. So you know that what's pro- what is probably up his sleeve is that oh, an exchange of crew members. Oh, I've got the Kazon on Voyager. Hmm. I see. So it's sort yeah. of like he captured the ship without even trying. So you know yeah. that even you as the viewer, you're kind of in the same. You're kind of in lockstep with Janeway. Like you know that no, there's got to be there's some ulterior motive there. Um, but I and the thing is, I don't know if that when people talk about Voyager sort of as a whole. I feel like they they only really they primarily talk about it from the point when Seven of Nine joins the show and then after that. I don't feel like particularly say the first and second season around this time that we're talking about really gets a lot of discussion. Right? It's like with, it's like with DS9. Great character. Well it's like with DS9, like nobody talks about it the show before the Dominion is uh, encountered for the first time. 
right? Right. Yeah. Or at least before Worf shows up. Or at least before Worf shows up, right? Um, um, but yeah, I thought this was actually pretty fantastic, um, and I like that they're getting into these things because of their circumstance, where they have to debate, you know, like is it okay to join an alliance with someone that you clearly think are murderous and terrible, mm-hmm. or is it okay to appease? people that are murderous and terrible. Can you give them something in order to make it through? Like, is that morally acceptable? Is it morally acceptable? By giving them technology, you'd be aiding them somewhat. And also you have to think, that alliance is going to end at some point, right? Because eventually Voyager is going to travel outside of Kazon space. They seem to be in Kazon space for a while because the Kazon were there well well into season two and even to the first episode of season three. So it's like, how big is how big is this case on space exactly? We just keep encountering these people over and over and over again, right? But, um, and I did think that the twist was very telegraphed, but it was yeah. interesting. But I do love that speech Jane gave at the end. Yeah, she talks about <laughs> this appears to be a region of space that doesn't have many rules, and yeah. so we yeah. have to rely on our Federation principles. Right. Which is interesting because principles are different than like regulations. Principles are right. looser ideas that you can then adjust your behavior to fit the principles. But they don't necessarily have to follow the letter of the law. Right. So I think she does open she does leave open some room there. Well and that. I think and that's a good point because I think that comes up again in Equinox in a lot of ways. Yeah, well she was just pissed in Equinox. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um now, the other episode that you saw was Tuvix, right? Now, yes. I have to confess, t- I so I like this episode quite a bit. Now, I see a lot of jokes about this episode made online, and like, I don't know if as a fan, <laughs> my fellow fans, I don't know if I'm supposed to hate this episode or not. Like, I say oh, hate in quotes. I, I say hate in quotes because people like to make fun of it, but like... I. I can never really tell whether people do like it or not. The premise is completely preposterous, right? Like, but it is entirely. Star Trek is totally notices it's an average day. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, transporter malfunction was a well overused plot, but like the idea that two complete opposites, Neelix and Tuvok, are brought together, and then yeah, it, it's a it's a fairly ridiculous premise, but like. I don't know. I, I liked it a lot a because good, I think that the, ethical the moral debate. question yeah. and the ethical question in it was actually really good and really well done. Now, but I had I had one problem was that just the character of Tuvix was not good, and I think it was the actor's fault. I felt like the actor never showed me that Tuvix was a new third person. It yeah. just felt like the actor was switching back and forth. Like, they were Neelix at one point, and they were Tuvok at another point. Yeah, he plays so it that kind was of like... Yeah. He plays it kind of like multiple personality in a lot of ways. Like, Neelix comes out yeah. here, and then Tuvok comes out there. Right. Yes, yeah. yeah. And um, as an actor, that's got to be a very interesting challenge, I, I, I would imagine. Yeah, I don't, I don't even like how they did it. And it was just really uh, weird looking. Yeah. It looked like the um, like desert pirate people from Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Do you remember them once around, like, the uh, skiff? I think the so. Wrinkled up faces. Anyway. Um, but... Oh, another thing. So I liked the character of Kess in the beginning. Yeah. 
And but it was there was one hilarious moment in this when someone sits down with her and starts talking to her about this whole situation, and she suddenly says, "Wait a minute, this is about Tuvix, isn't it?" And it's like, "Yeah, no shit." They're talking about like people being what fused together. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Kess was an interesting character, but I feel like, I mean, I was personally was not a huge fan of her, but I just think that, and I don't think it has nothing to do with the actress who played her. I just think that in the first few seasons there wasn't much for her to do. I think she was just a character that didn't fully work. Right. I guess mine didn't skewed because you gave me this episode, Tuvix, where she has a lot to do. Right. And that's one of the rare episodes where she actually has something to do. Um, mm. But you kind of, with a character like, with, with a character like Kess, you kind of write yourself into a corner, right? Because it's established in the first episode that she's from, she's an Okampa and, her people only live eight to nine years. So it's like... Yeah. She's like a kid, but a grown-up. Yeah. yeah, and so you think to yourself, like, I well... That. Which, yeah, that makes it worse. Okay, Trek shows generally go seven years, so by the time, you know, she's on the <laughs> for the entire time. Like, well, what happens if she was three when we found her? Does she die halfway in? Yeah. So it's like this very... And, like, while it's one of those things, like, it may sound like a good idea on paper, how do you actually factor that in to how you write the character? Right. Like, yeah. how does that? Yeah. I can see how that. W- so here's the thing. You kind of. It's always good to have sort of the fish out of water in a show like this, and I think yeah. that's what Seven of Nine was. Which yeah. Seven of Nine obviously is a much better character, and was much better at being the fish out of water. Mm-hmm. So, but so Cast never really seemed like a fish out of water. Um, this no. episode also had one of my favorite things, which is a great conference room talking scene. I know you love those conference room scenes. Yeah, so they, when they, they figured out what was happening with Tuvix, it was yep. so good. They talked about symbiogenesis, and um, you know they were just bouncing ideas around and explaining it, and it all made so much sense. And yeah, and Janeway was just like, "All right, well, let's figure it out." You know, it was really good. But I love the idea that they figured it out how to how to do it. But then they thought, "But should we?" Because, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it was very powerfully done, even though I thought the character was ridiculous. But I don't want to die. So, and, uh... so, in talking about this, it's reminding me of this, like that moment particularly, like when they figure out how to actually fix this problem, how to separate the two, and then you have the moral question, well, should we? It, there's a moment in the next-gen episode, Measure of a Man. So remember mm-hmm. how remember how Riker had to testify against them? against yes. Picard and Data. There was a moment in that episode, maybe this is more attributed to the way Jonathan Frakes performs, where he's doing his research and he finds like something in the research that's going to help him. And he's oh, reading it yeah. and he, there's like a big smile on his face and then he just kind of frowns because he's just like, oh, but I'm doing this to my... It's like, oh, look at him. And then like, oh, shit. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, there's kind of an odd parallel there, but it's a good parallel, which I actually kind of like, because um, it goes into that moral and ethical um, situation. And I love the fact that in Tuvix specifically, even the crew is like, I don't... The captain just made the decision. That's one of the rare times like Janeway actually said, like, I'm just going to make the decision. She's- yeah, see, that's so this is also led into my thing of her being more of like the dictator captain. Yeah. Yeah. But then you got it, I feel this, and this was so well done. Um, because you understood it. 
after it happened, and everyone was so happy to see um, Neelix and Tuvok again. And then she walks out of the out of that room, and she kind of sighs, like because she yep. had to take on that heavy burden to to fix everyone else's life. To kind of, it's like she took on the sin in order to. It's like fix everything for everyone else. And I think that's one of those. That's one of those unique circumstances. So one of the things that I've always, you've always heard me say about various Trek shows is that I think that one of the things that makes every Trek show good on its own respectively is being able to do something on one show that you couldn't do on the other, right? And while you could do this on another show, what you would have, though, is that Picard would have Starfleet to, to fall back on and say, what do I do? Or another ship would come to help or something like that. Janeway has to do this. The fact that they're on the other side of the galaxy on their own, she can't consult with anybody. She can't go to Starfleet and say, what do we do here? Like She has to make these decisions on her own. I think, to your point, that's why, at least in the beginning, she's kind of comes off as the dictator because she doesn't have an admiral to go to. Right. And also, though, one thing I'll just say, though, is the, the interesting thing, though, with Picard is that not only sometimes yes he had the hierarchy to tell him what to do, yeah. but sometimes also he had to fight against it, like with um, Measure of a Man. Right. So that's why it's powerful too, because the the you know the bureaucracy is telling him to do one thing, and he's saying, "Oh, that's wrong." And it, and and you know you mentioned some you when you say that it makes me consider something I never even thought of. We don't get a sense. We we don't really get a sense with Janeway as a character how she would be with authority, right? Picard spoke up when he needed to. Cisco spoke up when he needed to. Kirk did as well. We don't see that with Janeway because she's the one who has to make these decisions. There's yeah. no authority for her to answer to. Yeah. I'm sure after this she would because now she's used to running it on her own. Right. And I think just given the way she is and you know, she does consult with her crew but, event, but at some point she's has to make the decision on her own. I get, I feel like she would be the type of captain who would speak up against authority if she felt like it was something that was wrong or that she didn't agree with. Yeah. This one was interesting, I think, because it was almost like she was taking the less progressive stance, you know? Yeah. As far as... Like, this would be sort of the stance taken by... um. Uh, uh, Maddox regarding right. data, right? You know, but yet still, it was the right thing to do. It seemed, right? Even though it's tar- or really, maybe it was one of those situations like the Kobayashi Maru. There was no good answer. Yeah. So yeah. she had to do what she had to do. And because you're going to destroy this new type of life, this new person, but you've also just ended two lives. Yep. So there's. And this is what I mean when you say that you see a fair amount of stuff like this in the early seasons of the show. This is the sort of thing that kind of gets whittled away as the show goes on. So I didn't. Well, maybe because you chose. I think you just chose good episodes for me to watch, so I didn't see all the the other times that maybe settled into a routine. More well, more about the show making use of the unique circumstances in which the and, and the unique circumstances of the premise. So. Equinox did that for later later episode. To give you another example, there's an episode in season two, it's called Meld, 
where we find out that there's a former member of the Maquis who actually murders a member of the crew. And are they one of the new crew on the um on the Voyager? Uh, I think it's a. Or do they come on like from the outside? I can't remember. Um, the the do they the. Is it from the airlock? No, but the actor in question who plays him is actually uh, Brad Dorf. Does that name no. mean anything to you? No. Okay. He's in Lord of the Rings. He's in. I feel like you'd know him if you saw him. But he plays okay. a character called Crewman Suter, and he's a Maquis. And Chakotay always had concerns about him because he's always like. You know, whenever we needed him to kill Cardassians, he always did the job a little bit too well. But the thing is, the moral of the episode, and the moral struggle in the episode in a lot of ways is Janeway's saying to Chakotay, like, well, what do we do with him? We can't just lock him in the brig for the next 75 years. Like, right. that conversation is reflective of, again, of the premise. Had they been at home... They could have just passed him up the command chain. Exactly, but like... And they make mention of this, and they say, we're in a unique circumstance here. Like, what do we... I can't just lock him down. We can't, I think she said, I'm not going to lock him down in our dungeon for the next 70 years. That's interesting, because with the Equinox, she, she threatens just exactly that. Yeah, well, I think she's a little out of control in that episode, but... Uh, but uh, yeah, a lot out of control, that's true. Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah, Meld is not a bad episode, but I think um, that particular piece of conversation um really stuck with me and you know one of the things i wanted to mention as we were talking about this is that i think the struggle with voyager kind of in the beginning a lot of times was that i don't think it did enough of the unique circumstances thing so think about it the first episode they're whisked on the they're whisked they're whipped across whisked they're whisked away to the other side of the galaxy and then, and then what happens in the next episode? Oh, it's the weird space anomaly thing that Picard could have encountered. And then and then they do it again, like, three episodes later. So it's like, immediately it's jumping right back into the formula that you could have seen mm. on, on any of the other shows. So then, they, then they're interacting with these other empires or hierarchies or whatever yeah. they are. That, when it gets kind of different. Yeah. They don't have any diplomatic relations already with these people, so it's like they have to wing it. But, but that's what I mean when I say that I feel like, in the early years at least, Voyager didn't really know what it wanted to be. I feel like it was intended to be kind of a mishmashing of Next Gen and even Deep Space Nine. Yeah. And, you know, even in the early episodes, there, there's a lot of mention of, we're on the other side of the galaxy, our resources, our resources are limited, and this, that, and the other thing. And that sort of thing is very much, like, slowly whittled away. And it could just be because it gets in the way of the writing. We can't do much if we have to worry about this. But I'm, I don't yeah. buy that, because you can always write to any situation. But it's almost like the Enterprise problem, where Enterprise, they wanted the technology to be much more limited, but instead they gave them, what, one or two episodes where they didn't use the transporter. Right. And That's a whole other thing. Yeah. That. Or they wanted it to be on Earth before they got into space, so... Um, well, yeah, it almost seems like a compromise also. They're like, yes, okay, fine, we can have these people that are not Starfleet, but they all went to Starfleet Academy, so they can blend right, right in. And to your it point, would have been like, much more interesting if you had, like, equal numbers of crew, you know, and there were much more conflict. Well, and I think to your point, enter, enter, Enterprise specifically, and we should cover that show at some point, um, that show eventually fell into the formula, too. Like, what that show should have been, like, that should have been the right stuff in space. Like, who was the, who were the ships that, that just went out and everything, and, like, people were dying left and right, like, where humanity just really wasn't ready for this? Like, where was that? 
that to me is what Enterprise probably should have been. As it may have been like a may have been awful to watch, but like <laughs> Enterprise didn't do a good enough job communicating, suggesting the dangers of space, early space travel, yeah. travel enough. I hope that's that Enterprise didn't ruin our chance to to for Star Trek to take another stab at that. Well, that's the thing. Like I, people laugh at me; they think it's ridiculous, and I and I've always said like. I'd be very into the idea of them sort of almost redoing, rebooting Enterprise and actually trying to do it truly yeah. as a prequel. Because the original intention, I know we're getting off track here, but like the original intention of that show was to have the first season be totally ground-based. And it's about the building of the Enterprise. And it's like they had to build the ship quickly because they had to get this Klingon home. And they had to like hurry up and get it built. So like... Yeah, I would be totally into the idea of it being a tr- of actually doing a true, straight up, legit prequel. And like, well, you know, because I mean, how many movies are there about astronauts training? And those are great, very compelling movies. Like, what would the Starfleet on Earth training be like? Yeah, who who is the who is the Neil Armstrong? Who are the Buzz Aldrin's of Starfleet? Right. Well, Archer, of course. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, um, well, a couple more things on Tuvix. Just um, uh, I really liked when Tuvix before he was separated or quote-unquote executed um he sort of gave this christ-like forgiveness to everyone like how jesus on the cross says uh, forgive yeah. them father if they know not what they do he gives, gives one of those that was interesting I mean, it's almost like he's being dragged to be crucified in a lot of ways yeah yeah, yeah. i never thought of it that way. someone i forget who it was it might have been harry or something but they say uh oh it's an execution like they used to do to murderers centuries ago yeah because as we we know, and hopefully everyone knows, Star Trek is um, progressive and liberal in its politics. So that was a very anti-death penalty thing that was right there. So, you know. Yeah. Important to point out whenever these things show up in Star Trek, because they're all over the place, as people seem to forget. They are. Um, but I don't I don't think Tuvix is a bad episode. I mean, as I said, no. I don't know if I'm, as, a, as jokingly as a fan, I don't know if I'm supposed to hate it or not, but I, I, always, I always enjoyed it, because it has a very good ethical debate in there, in my opinion. Another one that you watched, the very famous, probably Voyage's famous, most famous cliffhanger was Scorpion, which obviously brings us to the introduction of Seven of Nine. So, this often gets ranked as one of the best episodes of Voyager. It was never one of my favorites. Um, I think it's good because it gave the show a much-needed creative kick in the ass at the time. Because it desperately needed that, but um, yeah, yeah. Seven of Nine is a great character. She is, and I've never been able to say that before because I, um, you know, haven't watched enough of it to really say. But she's a fantastic character, mm-hmm. and even it's interesting because when we were talking about um, Tuvix, right? Yeah, there was a point when someone gave. Um, Janeway that talk about execution like they used to do centuries ago. Um, it's interesting that Seven becomes Janeway's moral conscience. She's always comes to her and talks to her like, oh, it is funny because she always does it like she's guilting her. Oh, I thought you wanted me to learn about how great humanity is. Well, why are you doing X if yep. humanity is so great? Yep. And I think that's really, really cool. Um, and also she has sort of the fish out of water vibe. I love fish out of water characters. Seven was great at doing just that. Like, there are so many times throughout the show where Seven says, I've tried to learn from your example. 
but yet you go and do X. Right? Like, there's a very, yeah, conflicting um, area there a lot of the time, which I like. Yeah, I love it. Um, Really, really good. And also, it's interesting that she's able to have a special relationship with the Doctor because she's sort of part machine herself. Yep. So they can connect on that sort of... um, And she also can connect with Tuvok because her, like mechanical logic is like his Vulcan logic. She's she's a fantastic character. What's great is that throughout the show, and I'd highly encourage you to watch more of it for this specifically, but like the doctor is the one who sort of ends up helping seven become more human, even though he's not human at all. Like he's the one giving her like social skills lessons. Like there's a fantastic episode. I should have given this to you, but I'd highly encourage you to check it out. It's season five. It's called Someone to Watch Over Me. Okay. Where Seven begins to experiment with romance. Oh, boy. I hope it's not with Tom Paris. No. Um, it's a fantastic, a creep. fantastic, fantastic episode. He's a creep, by the way. Tom yeah. Tom Paris. And, like, even when Seven first shows up, he slides up to her and is like, if you ever need any uh, help getting accustomed, I'll be in my chambers. You know, so, it's, like, super sleazy. I, I, I do gotta say though I don't want to knock New Trek but it's characters like this that we need more of in the new shows we don't have yeah. like you could say in Discovery Saru is like that but he doesn't he doesn't really right. comment much on humanity or anything like that right even yeah. though especially you and you'd think he would considering he's the only Kelpian who was able to yeah. see all of this. And like we don't get it, we don't get that every Trek show has that character. And we don't have that in the new shows. And that's You know who else would have been great? You know, our favorite underused character from Discovery. Killed off before her time. Oh yes, Arium. Yes. yes. Oh Arium, how about that, right? So you're a human, you die, and then you're put into this like synthetic yeah. body. Yep. How great would it have been to explore that? Instead, we get five minutes of exploration of that. But yep. This is not working on Trash and Discovery, but... No, it's I just, mean, it, we're missing that Mirror for Humanity character. That, yes, and the, the trouble, too, is that they don't have 25 episodes this season. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's got to be interesting for you, having really jumped into the show really for the first time, and, like, because you just got through watching Picard, you saw where Seven was on Picard, but seeing her at this yeah, earlier, yeah. seeing her at this earlier stage, right? Like you can tell, yes, it is the same character, but it's also it's not the same character. Yeah, she's so far away. I mean, yeah, she let her, she literally let her hair down, and she figuratively let her hair down. But she also has a, she also on Voyager had a very specific way of speaking. Like her and Tuvok actually didn't speak all that differently, right? Yes. On Picard, that's why, well, like when I saw her in the trailer, the initial trailer for Picard, and she said, "Like, what the hell are you doing out here, Picard? Saving the galaxy?" Yeah, she like, got the and human. I was like, yeah. yeah. And I was like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> but. And she didn't say unacceptable once, did she? No, and and you know that also goes to show you that the people behind these shows do pay attention because they. Ev- I mean, if she was the same person as we last yeah, saw her, like the cat suit on, yeah, still like, with the cat suit on, and what? Okay, what was she doing for the past fifteen years? Like the beehive. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been cool though if she said unacceptable at least once. Yeah. 
Um, it's yeah. interesting that I noticed other characters saying unacceptable. Janeway says it at a point in negotiations after Seven yep. showed up. Yep. So. so, yeah, I mean, Scorpion is a very... Um, I think it's a good episode. I, I think as a cliffhanger, it's not that great. Um, because it didn't really end on a hook. Like, it just ends with the board yeah. ship dragging Voyager away, and you're like, okay, what's going on? It had a very... I, and I remember watching it the night it aired, and I remember just thinking, like, I'm confused. Like, it's a very abrupt ending, right? Yeah. What now, is here's the a question. dilemma? Did you... Yeah. When it aired, did you know that Seven was going to become a character, or did you just think... No. no. Oh, that's awesome. That... You, normally, it would be like they would take a board on for one episode, and they'd be gone forever after. No. That... So, my recollection was... Um, and I'd, I'd actually have to... I, I probably still have it somewhere at my parents' house, but... Um, when... Scorpion Part 1 first aired in the in May of 97, I believe, um, there was absolutely no indication, at least as far as I knew, that when the show came back, there was going to be another character joining the show. Yeah. Um, and Kess was still there, so you didn't know Kess was leaving. Kess was still, I remember as um, Season 4 was gearing up and you were beginning to see these teaser promos for, the, for Part 2, they were doing the 7 of 9 type of trailer there's where she was saying like you know my designation is seven of nine and they would but even then like it wasn't clear like is this a new cast member or is this just a, somebody appearing in this episode yeah like continuing right so um it was not it wasn't until you saw her name attached to the opening credits right but it mm. you know tv i i this is what i was saying to my parents i was like i'm sure the tv guide from that time i still have so it was known like as the time was approaching that this new character was joining the show. Yeah. She was on, this is when Trek was on the cover of TV Guide, like at least once a year, and when TV yeah. Guide was still a thing, and the internet was still sort of not what it is now. So um, here's a question related to TV Guide. Yeah. Do you think Star Trek was reaching a more like broad base of people then? I mean, obviously now if you have to have a specific subscription service, but like, right. how was it rated? Was there was it Penetrating, well, I you think, know, like average television watchers. Yeah, I, I, that's an interesting question. I, I, I don't. I mean, I feel like back then Trek was still very niche, right? Is it niche or niche? I never, I never know. It depends. You can say niche or niche. Niche, um, but you know what I, I mean. Niche personally, but you know what I mean. But like, I, like, I don't know. Like, if they were ever really trying to, I'm sure they were trying to make it a little bit more mainstream, but. It wasn't the type of mainstream, I think, that you would think of today. I mean, this is back when, like... Like, you would still see Xena, the warrior princess, on the cover of TV Guide, right? Like, you would see... So that might right, be... but Xena, the warrior princess, did not have an attraction at Las Vegas. True. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I would even say... I would even venture a guess that back then, Trek was still kind of like a cult show. Um, but... Where it was, sort of like on the on the mainstream scale, I don't know. I mean, movies yeah. were coming out, and I would say that the movies were tried to be geared toward a more general audience. But um, yeah, I would think putting it on the cover of TV Guy was an attempt to get to mainstream. But I don't know. I don't know if it ever really. I, I just think the Trek audience was stable enough where they didn't really have to worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. One thing about Scorpion 1 and 2 and going on with 7 is 
it would have been cool, and I have to first just commend this show because it does a lot more as far as um, like planting seeds that become more continuing storylines. Yep. But it would have been cool if it wasn't so sudden. It seems like it went from one scene, um, Seven was still pretty borgified, and then the next scene, she's got the hairdo and the cat suit and this little thing around her eye, you know. It seemed very abrupt. Yeah, you're talking about the. You're actually talking about the episode, the gift that happened after in the following okay. episode. Yeah, but to, again, to your point, like it's very. You could have had, you know, five episodes of her more borgified and right. struggling or something. Well, here's the thing: like even the fact that they carried this over into the gift, right? Yeah, I remember thinking. Right, I remember the thinking that was a big thing because Voyager was. They were doing self-contained episodes, and it was always cool to me that the show. Whenever the show showed some sort of continuity, like referencing an earlier episode that I remember seeing, like, oh yeah, they're talking about an episode from season two, right? And so the fact that they were able to carry this on into the second episode of the fourth season, I, I you know, I think it's a similar case like they were doing with the best of both worlds, right? As soon as Picard was rescued from the Borg, somebody probably said, Well, we can't just we can't just put Picard back to normal after this like we've got we have to address the aftermath of this issue of this of this event in an episode and i feel like voyager was sort of in a similar situation when it came to the events after scorpion like you can't just make her a human right away right granted they could have slowed it down a little bit and actually played it out more but yeah yeah because it did seem very abrupt but yeah um it was interesting too that I don't know if this was obvious, I mean, like, intentional, but did it seem like everyone... I don't know, it was strange. They certainly seemed to nod to the fact that, like, the character was very sexually appealing hmm. by having... But, like, it seemed like Harry tried to hit on her. Yep. Parrots tried to hit on her. Yep. Like, it was very weird, though, because those things would happen, and then they would... It would just... It seemed very... Just odd. Like, they would... They would hit on her, and that would just yeah. The end and they it. never really, they never really pursued that, right? Um, yeah, yeah, it was very strange. Yeah, and yeah, it was, it was. Uh, the, I, I would, I would attribute that to the maybe the writers just trying something to see if there's anything there, but yeah, yeah. Or like we have to acknowledge the fact that clearly. But this, yeah, this particular episode is that is that sort of transformational. Every Trek show has that sort of transformational episode where they kind of go from one era of the show to the next. And I think this was, for Voyager, like, this really was that episode. And this was really, I think, the show finally kind of finding its voice in a lot of ways. I think it, I think for the first three seasons it struggled back and forth a lot to figure out what the show wanted to be. And I think when you brought Seven of Nine on board... Um, that's and you had this cool character to co- to sort of um, introduce into the mix and really explore. I think mm-hmm. it added a very interesting dynamic to the show that um, that was necessary. And the show finally, I think, had its had really found its voice by then. Mm. Another thing that would have been cool is having some of the crew be against it, which they weren't. Yeah, it seemed like everyone got on board pretty quickly. And I would also say to to finish up my thoughts on Scorpion, like that episode is sort of accused, I think, of, in a way, defanging the Borg, as it was. Like, they they didn't seem, like, as much as a, of a threat anymore as they were, like, in the Next Generation days. 
was stupid because it was only just had this one this one group of aliens that they couldn't handle. But the thing is, like, we did not know the Borg like that. They just up to that point they had been they had been this sort of unstoppable force of of nature, really. Yeah. And the fact that there was a, an alien race out there stronger than they were, suddenly it's yeah. like, well, the Borg aren't that scary anymore because we know that species 8472, yeah. right? Right. And then bringing 7 on board also kind of shows a little bit of uh, humanity to them. but Which, of course, was explored all the way up until Picard. Well, Picard gave us an, a unique perspective in that they're vi- that's, they said the Borg are victims, and that's exactly... It's so true. Yeah. yeah, it's the first time you actually kind of feel bad for them in some ways. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, here's one thing, though. Speaking of the, here's why the Borg are so terrifying. Under, if if they didn't need it to go this way for this episode, the Borg would not have just scared off the aliens. They would have assimilated them, taken all their knowledge, and then been as powerful as them. Yep. And that's what I was worried about because at first when they were entering this alliance with them, they never seemed to discuss, like, well, what happens if the Borg assimilate these aliens and then have all their powers? Because that's what I expected was going to happen yeah. until they just ran. I mean, I remember when they so were... So that was a little bit of a breaking up the logic of the Borg. I remember when they were exploring the ruins of that Borg fleet and you saw a Borg trying to, trying to assimilate a Species 8472 vessel and it can't. But, like, yeah. how, how insane of a twist would that have been had, like... The result of this alliance, the Borg are actually able to overcome them and assimilate them, and it's like, right? Can you imagine like what would have happened at that point? Like Janeway would have just been—I I mean, who even knows? And like, they would have been so powerful. Yes, exactly. So I guess you, there was no other way to do it, really. Well, I think at that point it's like, well, now how the now how the fuck do we? Because all you would need, honestly. If that happens, you just need one episode to defeat them, and then now they're not scary anymore. Yeah. Right. Now, here's another Picard connection. Chakotay shoots some uh, Borg out of the airlock. Yep. Or he threatens to. Yes. And he says, you know, which yep. is done later by um, yep. Rizzo. Yep. And I guess so. They I guess they don't that. die, huh? They just kind of float there until a, a cube can come and pick them up. I, I, I mean... In first contact, they were fighting on the outside of the Enterprise without any environmental suits, the Borg specifically. Yeah. So, I mean, I assume. This is a Borg so I think the biggest there. problem is just they have nothing to grab onto, so they can't come back and fight you more. Yeah. <laughs> you probably just shoot from their arm, but yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting stuff, though. Um, but yeah. Scorpion, to me, it's not a bad episode. It's it's that, again, it's, that, it's, the, it's the transformation episode, really. From one era of yeah. the show to the next era of the show. Yeah, so I think the character of Seven is better than those episodes are. Yeah. And so the one you watched after that was Year of Hell. Right. I did watch The Gift, because I wanted to see what happened to Kess. But that's oh, not right. important. We can talk about that. <laughs> yeah, well, Year of Hell. Do, well, we do the 30th anniversary perspective, you know, retrospective. You know. Yeah, we'll or that. when um, we do a whole episode on Kess. Yeah, which will never happen. Um, yeah, so I watched, um, Year in Hell, part one and two. Year of Hell, yeah. Yep. Yeah, so, this is a very popular episode of the show. Um, I think it's, I think it's okay. Um, I think it was a very, I, yeah, I didn't but love I, 
I loved the idea of utilizing time as sort of a weapon. Yes. And then you find out that this is really sort of actually, and the reason behind it, it's not malice, it's somebody trying to bring his wife back to life. Right, and to the point that, um, yeah, like when he gets it to 90%, everything's back to normal, he still won't let it go. Yep. He says yeah, not, until every, not until every blade of grass is restored. Yeah, or in other words, there's not until his wife. I think if he had gotten 5% of the Empire back in his wife, he would have stopped. Yeah. I think he was full of shit. Yeah. But I was surprised that... Um, Red Foreman. Um, Chakotay. Yeah, Red. Yeah. Uh, Chakotay... I don't know. Do you think Chakotay is like, fit with his character, his, what he did in that these episodes? You know, whenever I watch that episode, the... The scenes with Chakotay and Tom on Anorex's ship are the least interesting scenes to me. Yeah. I don't feel like they do much to it. Um, I find any any scenes with Tom Paris are the least interesting. Yeah. I, I, I Those scenes do not have no interest to me at all. Um, so I don't think... And I think the reason why they don't have interest in me is because they just, they don't, I don't think they work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I do think it's interesting that the tables were flipped, that Paris was the voice of reason. Yeah. And Chakotay was the one who was more kind of like going down uh, that immoral hole. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, um... The interesting thing about that episode is that I was listening to the Inglorious Trexperts um, podcast recently, and Brian Fuller was on as a guest. And he was on the Voyager writing staff at that time. And I guess he had said that the original idea for that premise was to actually stretch it out for the entire season. So you would have had an entire season of Year of Hell. And then in the end, they would have said, oh, never mind, none of it happened. Well, and see, and that's, that's the problem that I have with that episode, is that it falls into the into the reset button. Yeah. The event there are no ramifications. I mean, honestly, the condition that we see Voyager in I mean, yeah, it's well, it's really, and stuff like that like that should have been what the ship ended up look that should, that what that ship should have looked like after being in the Delta Quadrant for 4 years. Like all or or maybe even that should have been what Enterprise looked like after, you know, had gone out in space for all. Like that's right? <laughs> Yeah, no, I see what you mean. Yeah, like totally torn apart. And... But that's the and and that to me is an inherent problem with Voyager because that show did not do that show was they just kept chasing the self-contained episode idea and did not do any arcs, only two-part episodes. And like, man, like that could have been. Can you imagine if like that was if that had happened yeah. and they just continued? But I think we've episode. we've seen that they don't do that. They they would. For all the great ideas that the writers had for different things that would have been long-lasting, every single one of them seems to have just been shot down. Yeah, and the and the person doing that shooting down is Rick Berman because he didn't want to do any sort of uh, long-form storytelling like that. Don't mess with the formula. Yeah, don't mess with the formula. And I think and part of the reason I think that is the case is because Deep Space Nine was doing it. Yeah. And yeah. he couldn't really control what was going on over there. Yeah, but it's just weird. 
Because yeah. I know he, we saw the documentary, we saw he said, like, I just didn't think that, like, you know, we needed to... Well, I guess part of it was um, being syndicated. They wouldn't always show the episodes. They wouldn't show them in order. Yeah. Well, Because, um, yeah. you know, like, years before that, Twin Peaks was completely serialized, and that was, like, the most popular show in the country. It took the country it, over. Vo- and Voyager wasn't syndicated. I mean, Voyager was on, granted, the third rate, but it was on a network, right? Yeah. Twin Peaks was on a network. Twin Peaks is on, yeah, ABC. Yeah, so, I mean, broadcasting-wise, you'd be able to do it. The problem is... Oh, yeah, so by the time of Voyager, they they controlled when the show was on. Yes, and actually, Year of Hell... uh, Did it? No, Year of Hell did not air as a... uh, Because Voyager was really good at... um, One of the things that that show did really good at, was really good at doing was doing these two-hour episodes, like these movie-like yeah, miniseries Yeah, a lot of two-parters, even in the middle of a season. Um, Year of Hell did not, the, that night, did not air on, did not air for two hours. But, oh, they would air um, them together. That's incredible. That's they great. did that They did that a couple of times, um, but they, didn't, they did not do that with Year of Hell. That was one week, and then they did it the next week. Um, but there were several episodes that actually did air in, uh, in two-hour blocks, yeah. Hmm. Um... I do think that there was a nice speech before they had the crew scatter. Yep. Where Janeway gave us emotional speech and said, like, and we will, when we meet again and we will meet again, we'll have interesting stories to tell each other. Like, she was keeping on a very brave face, even though she probably didn't fully believe that. Yeah. That was, that was nice. That was well done. What I think would have been great, though, is... I mean, it's fine that that episode aired toward the beginning of the fourth season, but that would have been a fantastic season finale. In my opinion, mm, yeah. that would have been a great way to end that season. To see the escape pods leaving Voyager, and then you just don't know what's going to happen next. Like that would have been fantastic. But yeah, yeah. So then the second one starts, and um, it was interesting. They sort of had those like Han Solo style space masks. Yep. <laughs> oh yes, I forgot about that. Yeah. 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 Never saw those in Star Trek before or since. Mm-mm. Um, oh, I like how the Tuvok in Seven have the conversation about, like, when do you when are you supposed to be independent and when are you supposed to submit to authority? Yep. Because, again, one of these great things where Seven's learning what it is to be human and to act. And, um, and from a Vulcan. Tuvok says... Tuvok says, well, the captain is always right, so I always do what the captain says. Like, what if it defies, what if her her actions defy your logic? And he says, well, he does it anyway. Right. He follows what she says anyway. Right. So, let's see, she's struggling, like, when to be independent and when to submit to authority. I've got to say, Tuvok and Seven throughout the show have some very nice moments together, and I don't feel like they gave us enough of those. Okay. Because I think Tim Russ playing Tuvok, he was... He's great. I don't want to say he was underutilized, but I think in a lot of ways he was kind of like the show's kind of almost secret weapon. Like, he was really good at playing a Vulcan. Tuvok was... He's a fantastic Vulcan. And I don't think that... I think he could have done more. And again, I'm not saying he was underutilized, because he most certainly was not, but I think he could have been brought to the forefront a little bit more. Did they have some uh, Tuvok-centric episodes? Uh, well, the one I mentioned before, Meld, yes. Um, okay. 
there's one oh fuck I should have told you to watch this one too the third season episode called Flashback which flashes back to the events of Star Trek 6 The Undiscovered Country all aboard what? the all aboard all aboard the Excelsior Captain Sulu Tuvok's a bridge officer on the Excelsior he's an unseen what? bridge officer on the Excelsior fuck I should have told you to watch that one damn it <laughs> It's all right, it's all right. Yeah, that would have been great. Oh, I totally forgot about that one. That's all right, that's all right. Yeah. Um, You know what, that was Voyager's 30th anniversary of Trek episode, just like Trials and Tribulations was DS9s, and so... That's cool. Damn, I hate myself for that. (laughs) Well, again, we do the 30th anniversary retrospective, you can talk about it then. Anyway. Totally, totally. Um, But there were some good, there were some decent Tuvok episodes, yeah. Okay. Um, Janeway gets super reckless in this. She does. It's completely reckless. Yep. For some reason, I have the note here. I don't know why it says Doctor was right. I don't know what that means. You? Oh, I think I I I, I don't know. So obviously, I was not there when you watched it. But I'm gonna I'm going to guess that it was that scene between the Doctor and Janeway where he was telling her like he was trying to quarantine her because he thought she was not well. Oh yes. And she. <laughs> defied Doctor's orders. Because don't forget, the Doctor can always outrank the Captain. Yeah. Yeah. And the Captain's never, right, never yeah. listen. And the Captain's never listen anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But and I thought it was neat. Like, you had these parallel situations of power struggles, right? So they talk about when to submit and when to be independent. Yeah. And then you have Paris and Chicote have this sort of power struggle where he, like, pulls rank on him, on Paris. And Paris says, no, like, you're wrong. Yeah. You have Janeway in Seven, where Janeway pulls rank on Seven. And then you have the Doctor who pulls rank and tries to, like, exercise the power on Janeway. It was kind of neat. But see, the, the, the thing about that show, that episode, is that Janeway is chasing down Anorex because she sees him as the villain. But there's never a moment where Janeway finds out why he's doing what he's doing. Right, Chakotay finds out. Chakotay finds out, but Janeway just sees him as this villain, villainous guy using time as a weapon because look at what he did to my ship and my crew. Yeah. She never finds out what his intention... I mean, I don't know what that would have changed, but... Right, because when you're wiping out entire civilizations, does it matter if you have a good reason? Yeah. Well, actually, no, you're right, was, because just given was, the way Janeway is... That was Paris' is, point, I think. That was Paris' point. Right. Chicote. And Janeway would have been saying, what you're doing is wrong. You're destroying entire civilizations for your own personal agenda. Like... Right. Yeah. And he'd be like, no, I'm restoring them. Don't you understand? Or he would say, what would you do to save your ship? But you know what it is? I think Anorex and his intent is a classic type of Star Trek villain, because I think a lot of villains in Trek, they're not evil, they're just misguided. They're doing things yeah, for a reason. Yeah, the best villains. Yeah. The best villains are ones you can understand why they're doing what they're doing, and yes. you can sort of relate. And you can understand that that's, he has an opportunity to fix things on his own, but he's not thinking he's not thinking outside of his own bubble about who this is affecting. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, if there's one problem in Trek, is sometimes they have too many mustache-twirling villains. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting, too, because Janeway becomes completely unstable because she's so selfless. She wants to save her ship and her crew. Right. And then, what's the guy's name? Red? Anorex. Anorex is completely unstable from selfishness because he's there pursuing his one thing that he wants for himself, and that makes him go totally unstable. Right. So that was kind of interesting, like, the two different captains and how they're approaching things. Now, I will say, because you like Kess, there is a Kess connection in this episode. Really? 
in season three, there's an episode called Before and After where Kes is trying to extend her life. And she's oddly traveling through time and seeing the future. And she actually sees a future where where Voyager is engaged in combat with the Krenum. She's pre- oh, she sees this episode. She sees this moment. And wow. but here's the problem, though. This is the this is what makes me so angry about it. Even though when that episode is resolved, Tuvok says to says to Janeway like, maybe because when Kess sees the future, they actually find out the precise I forget what they call it the precise like modulation of their weapons so they can adapt the shields right. And Tuvok mm-hmm. says to Kess, um, there's a conversation with Kess where they don't even know if what she saw was true, but Tuvok says, maybe so, but maybe Kess should at least give us a report on these Krenums so she can tell us everything we need to know, just in case. And that yeah. never comes up in this episode! That's interesting. Yeah, maybe, like, nobody uh, says, hey, remember like... that... Nobody says, hey, remember that time, like, a year ago when Kess mentioned the... Never <laughs> happens. That Yeah, maybe they just wanted to forget Kess ever happened. Yeah, but still, like... But that again speaks to the idea, like the show is obsessed with being self-contained. And you had a, you had a you had the opportunity to reference an earlier episode, but then again, yeah, yeah. had you done that, that would have invalidated this entire two-parter to begin with. That's true. Because they would have known now, that. Yeah. Once I knew that all this sort of got erased, it was sort of a moot point. It didn't matter. But I was curious. At one point, Janeway says, "Our allies are here." Like, where did they get allies, and when did they get allies? Oh, like, the. Because when she tells them to leave the ship, to is to, she's like, you know, when you're out there, try to make allies, try to find allies. And I'm thinking to myself, like, they're, oh, in, okay. they're in escape pods. Where are they going to find allies? Yeah. Um, and the other thing is that the the, the genocide guy, um, he got a happy he got a happy ending out of the whole thing. He did. That was interesting. But he's still going to make the time ship anyway. Because you see the time, the plans for the time ship on his desk. Yeah, but he yeah. puts it down and he, he says, "You know down. what? No, I'm going to go take a walk with you." So maybe he just never comes back. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a good episode, but it's just very like what? And yeah, it was good. I mean, because again, because it hits the reset button, so you just think, okay, well, none of this matters, right? You're giving us the Saint Elsewhere ending. You're giving us the Dream Season thing, right? Because. Ultimately, it would have even been worse if they went the entire season like this, because that's probably how it would have ended anyway. So the entire season would have been invalidated. Yeah, no, that wouldn't have been so good like this. Yeah, but... hmm. So the next episode that I watch is Latent Image. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. The one that I accidentally spoiled for you. (laughs) Only the first mystery, though. Yeah, so... Not the second one. I, I quite enjoy this episode. Um, me too. But, yeah, tell me your thoughts. And I think this is the episode that really solidified my love of Seven as a character. Yep. Because she's sort of, like, so pure and innocent about it, and she's like, I'm going to help you figure this thing out, you know? Well, and the whole idea of lying to him, she's it's just very not on board at all. Well, because she has a moment with Janeway, like we were, like we were referring to earlier. Mm-hmm, yeah. 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 Even at the beginning, when she's helping um, the Doctor. Yeah. So this is when I first noticed I wanted to ask you, did the doctor get an emotion chip or an emotion code? No. Because he was so but then I found out yeah. you told me how he, he evolved. Yeah. It's programmed into him, which I guess is different than actually having a chip, but okay. <laughs> it was totally um like 
what they were doing to the doctor was straight up cruel. The way they were yep. gaslighting him. Yep. Yeah. And just watching that all unfold and how he figures it out and he's able to re- uh, retain his last 24 hours of memory, it was just very enjoyable to watch it all. But, and again, through. had they been at home, they would have had a legit doctor on there, so this would not have happened. They wouldn't even be point. using... Right? So, yet again, an example of them utilizing the premise very well. Like, you wouldn't yeah. be able to... I mean, maybe you could do a version of this on Next Gen with Data, but again, it's the idea that, well, Starfleet's at my disposal. They can help me. Kind of thing. Yeah. Right? We're not on our own, essentially. But what did you think of the idea that they just said, you know what? We just have to let him figure this out on his own. We can't go through this all again. Yeah. Yeah. No, I thought it was good. And sort of like did it like a. It was very interesting too that the way they settled it was they gave him a book of poetry. And it's like, you know what? These are things that humans struggle with, and there's no good answer. Yep. And you can find solace in things like poetry or music, mm-hmm. but you but, can't really give a good answer for it. What, but once again, and I I've got to fault them for this. No ramifications. He's 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 right back to normal in the next episode. Oh, so we figured it out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also, they made the circumstances so specific that he would never encounter them again. Like, the show does a lot of these episodes that, had they followed had they followed through and continued with and seen the ramifications, it would have sh- shaken up the entire show. And there's so many episodes that set up that possibility, but they just don't follow through, and they just reset everything back to normal in the next episode. And that, to me, mm. is... One of the more one of the most frustrating aspects of Voyager, because I think that the show does science fiction very well, but it just doesn't it doesn't revisit or continue any of these ideas and just resets everything by the next episode. Like I would have, it would have been interesting for me to see the Doctor continue to struggle with that in the next episode. Maybe just, or maybe like just a little bit. Like it's like. Not, it doesn't have to be about him, but like you can just see, like, oh, there's a scene where he's still kind of wrestling with this idea. I don't know. Yeah, just... and, it, and the way it showed up his anxiety in him was a very human response to this kind of thing. Was Yeah, it would have made sense if he suddenly was more anxious. Right. This was another one where I said Janeway is just super stubborn and very dictatorial. Because yeah. at first she was not willing to hear anything until Seven talked to her. It's also an episode that kind of, I mean, even though the Doctor at this point is very much evolved, he's considered a member of the crew, you still run into that gray area where you say, well, we can still reprogram him, so like, how, and he as the Doctor saying, well, how independent am I really? Somebody is able to still control me. Right. right? Like, and Senator makes the point, you let him evolve past what he was, you did the same thing to me, would you do this to me if I became a problem? Yeah, that's the scene... Remind me, I feel like I don't want to get my episodes mixed up. Seven's regenerating. Janeway wakes her up and asks her, would you, if you could turn back time, would you change things and stay with the, would you still leave the collective? Something to that effect. And she says no. That's from this episode, correct? I think so, yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's... That's a, that, I love that, like you said... Like, Data fills that role. Yep. You have someone that's new to humanity. It's the one that can see it more clearly than anyone else. Right. 
Yeah, it's it, it's a good episode, and I feel like it's an underrated episode, in all honesty. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, and I think it's funny, too, when Janeway asks the Doctor like what he's thinking, and he starts with the Big Bang. Yep. Starts with how like, you know, there was a great explosion, and all matter was created. <laughs> so... Doctor um, makes a good comic relief. I didn't mention that, but he does. He is comic relief quite oh, often, and quite good at it. He's he is seven and him are like the most popular characters of the sh- of the show. He is, you know, I feel like I need to say McCoy is my favorite Doctor just because. But honestly, like the Doctor from Voyager is fantastic, and I've and I actually met Robert Picardo at a convention. He's he's fantastic. He's he's awesome. He's, he's like, he's the nicest person. Like he's so he's such a pleasure to to, to meet if you ever get to meet him at a convention. He's wonderful. Um, and he actually, um, you know, a lot of uh, Star Trek actors like go on to direct episodes. He's one of the few, maybe only, maybe he's one of the few who actually contributed to the show, um, contribu- contributed writing to the show. Really. Yeah, wow. On occasion, yeah. That's a good thing. Um, I can't yeah, that, recall. That, I don't know of anyone else writing. I don't think it's Tinker Tenet. It might be Tinker Tenet up spot. One of them he actually did write, I believe. He actually did Oh, no, write. wait. That Robert Shatner wrote all those novels. Well. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I don't think so. They're not canon. Yeah, and um, plus he always, had a, he always had a co-writer. Yes, a ghostwriter. So... I know it wasn't on my list, but you said you watched Equinox, and I kind of wanted to discuss this because I referenced this episode a lot when we were talking about Discovery and the Tardigrade. And oh yes, I think now that you've and I'm glad you saw it. Um, and I love the connection we made to Battlestar Galactica, but like in a way, it's sort of like, that was the episode I was using to say, see, this is why we never heard of the Spore Drive. Because they're doing stuff, they were doing stuff like this back then, that Janeway is having a problem with. But there's a conversation that Janeway has where she's referring to Captain Ransom, and she says he's torturing and murdering innocent life forms just to get home a little quicker. And I mean, even though Lorca wasn't getting home, he was still, in a way, torturing... He's doing war. Yeah. Exactly, and so, and again, this is why I kept saying that's why we don't hear about a uh, spore drive because, like, you think you think even if they had the capability to make, you think if they knew about the spore drive in Voyager's time, do you think Janeway would have done it? Because look at what you have to do to create a spore drive. <laughs> She'd be like, yeah. "No, Are you crazy." Right. I mean, it goes against. It goes against Federation, you know, principles, principles so much. Yeah. Yeah, and... So clear. Equinox is a good episode. I just think that Janeway's a little... She's a little... She's a little out of control in that episode because of the whole... The whole thing now becomes personal. She can't... She just can't stand that there was a Starfleet captain who really betrayed his principles. And yeah, it's, and it's the, getting captain. I know it's very out of character for her. It's very strange. Yeah, it's just it's very out of control. But I will say, I, I almost wish too that like we had seen them as something other than villains because they kind of. I mean, we got to know the blonde lady. Yep. And I, she she eventually was on the side of Voyager, but it was, 
I don't know, I think it was maybe the writing, but they sort of set it up like she's going to be the one who's not okay with what they're doing. And yet, it didn't happen until the last possible minute. Yeah. And it would have been cool if like we had gotten more of their side of the story so that we understood where they were coming from more. To make it like a real choice, a real like yeah. debate. Well, see, and this is what would be cool. So you know how we talked about in a few episodes ago how, I think it was during the Strange New Worlds podcast episode we did, how one of, what I thought one of the the most innovative thing they did was short treks, right? Yeah. You would have been able to do, like, short treks about the Equinox crew and seen what was going on over there, right? And even since we did that episode, I also thought, you know, when I used to watch The Walking Dead, they used to do these Fear the Walking Dead, like, shorts. They'd be, like, 90-second shorts that would air during commercial breaks, and you get, like, other perspectives. You get other perspectives. And so, like, it would have been, to me, really cool. Like, I'd be really interested to see how a lot of Trek from back then, how different it would be if you did the same stories but did it today. Like, how different would it be today? Like, I would have loved to have seen... I think we would have definitely seen more build-up to Equinox... Or we would have just seen potential shorts on what happened over there, and I love, love, love because I didn't even think about this until we I said earlier like Voyager was basically Battlestar Galactica, and I didn't even think of the fact that like to your point, Equinox was the was Razor was the other yeah. was the other Battlestar. Yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't even think of that, and that's exactly what this is. That never yeah. occurred to me. To the point that even I think the other captain like sort of threatened sexual violence against Seven. Yeah, I mean, it's and that's what that's what someone I think the captain on the other crew was doing with the Cylon. Yeah, like it's a very Uh, interesting idea to me that you see. It's almost like, yeah, you. It's not to say that Voyagers had it easy in the Delta Quadrant, but like you see the dark side of it. You see what happens when if this crew gets swept over there. How do they handle it? Like it's it's an experience completely different to them. Yeah, it's about leadership. You know how, how your leader is. Yeah. Um, but think about this. What if there was a situation where a, a portion of the Voyager crew wanted to use the use it to get home? Because I'm sure... Uh, here's the thing for me that was interesting. I thought, like, oh, this is so terrible. But then when I found out that, like, they're only actually using, like, milligrams of the alien to power it, you know, it seemed like, wow, maybe they could just kill one of them and still get a lot out of it. Like, it yeah. started to seem a little more gray than black and white. Yep. Um, it would have been cool if they explored that a bit. And then Janeway had to do, like, almost a, um, mutiny. I'd be really curious to know, like, if the Equinox crew succeeded and got home, what the hell would they, what, what were they planning on telling Starfleet when they they got back there? Right, well, it was interesting, though, that he had it, like, he had the regulation that said made it okay. So when the lives of your crew are in danger, you were able to use any means available. So he had his defense, which he got court-martialed. Yeah. Um, but Janeway was really out of control. She relieved Chakotay of um, of command. Yep. Yeah. That now the two of them it always they always they're always at loggerheads mostly in season finales. Um, but they happened, always seem to work it out. It happened in Scorpion, but this was the worst that it got. Yeah. Between them. Yeah. 
That's why that would have been cool if that like started something. Oh, and um, little canon connection for you. In that briefing room scene, I know how much you love briefing room scenes. I do. When Janeway and Chakotay are talking to Ransom and his first officer about evacuating the Equinox and coming to Voyager, Janeway quotes, quotes a regulation. Mm-hmm. Um, in the regulation one nine one section. Oh, the one about the superior um, Pike. The ship of the superior. Yep. Pike uses that same regulation in the short trek. Ask not against the cadet when oh, he's cool. testing her. Yep. So, yeah, yeah, that was. I, inter- I'm glad that they worked that out. Yep. You know, they actually talked about it. Command falls to the vessel with tactical superiority. Pike uses. Yeah, since Pike, their ship was all broken. Captain Pike uses that exact same regulation on That's the. That's right. I remember that actually. Yep. I made a video of that and I put it on Twitter. Nice. Yep. Um, yeah, it's 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 a good episode and. Um, I, I'm sorry I keep banging the drum on this, but like, um, once again, a premise that you could really only do on Voyager. I mean, Next Gen had a similar premise with one, I think it was the episode The Wounded, where there was a Starfleet captain that went rogue and he just started randomly attacking Cardassian ships. Yeah, but, well, that makes sense. Um, we we understood why this person was doing it, and we sort of understood, like how he could get there. Yeah. Because, you know, it makes sense if you're trapped that far away and you know you're probably going to die before you ever see anyone that you love again, you could do some extreme things. And the thing is, in that Next Gen episode, Picard actually confronts the captain, and the captain has what seems to be actually, like, a reasonable excuse, for a, reasonable, a reason for doing it. Like, you actually think, like, oh my god, maybe... Yeah, maybe he's just doing the right thing or something like that, but... Um, Ransom like lost his not only lost his principles but in a way he kind of lost and the crew lost their humanity in some ways and yeah yeah, yeah. but I, I, love, I do love that he creates this lawless ship and then he winds up becoming a victim of the very lawlessness that he created yeah but what I, what I the thing I like about it and this is where it becomes in my opinion classic Trek right where it's seen at the very end when it's clear the Equinox is not going to survive and Janeway wants to save him. In other words, yeah. she still thinks that he's redeemable. And I love that moment when he says, you've got a fine crew captain, promise me you'll get him home. Yeah, that was nice. But here's what I expected to happen and wanted to happen. Yeah. I thought after all that, she was still going to give them up to the aliens because she promised them that. Yeah. Because she never really did. She let them kill the couple of people uh, that they happened to get on the on the Equinox. But she never really followed through on her promise to them to well, hand over the perpetrators. Well, what did you think of that moment, actually, when they they left Crewman Lessing in the cargo bay and she kept saying, no, he's going to break, he's going to break, and then Chakotay just says, no, don't do this. And he just right, goes, that was great. Yeah. Um, uh... That's where you were going with it, right? Sorry, I, didn't, I don't mean to... No, I wasn't, but... Oh, sorry. Because I don't think she had made the promise yet at that point to the aliens. Remember, she, when they finally got them to lay off Voyager, she had to promise yeah, she was going to turn the Equinox crew. Well, she said the Equinox, and the Equinox got destroyed, so... Yeah. I <laughs> no, really I, I, I get you. I, I, yeah. I, I just thought it would have been really cool, and it would have been keeping with her 
character, if she's like those people that were uh, the crew that they brought over, instead yeah. of putting them to the brig, they'll say like, unfortunately for you, I made a promise to blah 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 that they could do what they want with you, and I'm going to beam you over to their whatever right now, and then just beamed them out. That would have been yeah. Actually, I forgot about that. You you make a very interesting point. I forgot about that. But yeah, also what she did, if she was willing to do that to the guy when she was yeah. going to let the alien get him and have him break, that's I think that's why I thought she was actually going to turn them over. Yeah. Because she had kind of gone off the deep end. Yeah, it's a good episode, and I think it really paints a picture for what, again, for Discovery, why we never hear of the spore drive. Like... Because you're killing life forms. This is what happens. This is what, you know, look at this episode. This is what happens. Yeah, with all. Yeah. And like we said, that should have been the reason they stopped, not because they made a law against it. And that's what I, that's what I, because, I mean, again, you and I had about ten reasons for why we didn't hear about the spore drive. And they were, the writers wrote in all these great reasons, and then they had to add a new one. They wrote them all in there. We, we already had it figured out at that point. We kept saying, they don't even have to say it. It's already, it's already there. Yeah. So. Um, now, I will say, I'm a little disappointed that you were not into this next episode all that much, which is Tinker Tenno Doctor Spy. Yeah, so, I didn't love it, and I don't know why. Um, let's see. Let me check my notes. Do you, I mean, do you have a thing with Trek and comedy? Do you feel like Trek doesn't do comedy very well, The Voyage Homicide? Oh, uh, The Voyage Home is so great. Yeah. Um... I mean, even then, it's not a comedy, but Is yeah. Is this supposed to be comedy? I mean... Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I guess so, because... Alright, here's what I'll say about Trek comedy. The best Trek comedy is based on the characters that we know and love, and that's why we know and love the comedy. Right. So, like, Voyage Home, it's about Spock being a weirdo in 1984 San Francisco. The jokes it's write about... themselves. The, 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 it's the situation that makes it funny. Yes. You're not writing a set-up punchline kind of thing. Right, and when Star Trek tries to do that, I feel like it's often very, um, like, lame. <laughs> I, I don't, so, I would say that Tinker Tenno Doctor Spy is similar to The Voyage Home in that it's the situation that's more funny. The idea that the Doctor can daydream, and he's daydreaming himself into all of these ridiculous situations... And there was some parts I did find funny, especially, like, when the sexy music started. Yeah. And that's how you kind of knew, like, wait, this isn't right. That yeah. was funny. Well, I love the I love them in, once again, in the conference room. And they're doing, like, you know, text messaging wasn't really a thing yet. Right, right, right. But they're right. texting each other. <laughs> I mean, really, that episode aired in 1999, okay? Cell phones were still kind of not as widespread. And if you think about it, they're sitting there in a meeting texting to each other. Like, that's what they're doing. <laughs> And playing footsie. And, yeah. yeah. Well, all those things about him being like a sex machine were, were pretty fun. Right. And just how often it would just be Seven, like, gazing adoringly at him while he was doing she something. Wings. But I just, I never thought of that. It never occurred to me, like, oh my god, in 1999, they envisioned people in meetings texting with one another on their devices. Like, that's what they're doing. Right. Yeah. And also, there were a few parts where I liked how, how they would clue you in that it was a fantasy, like when um, the computer said, warp core breach a lot sooner than you think. Yeah. And, <laughs> and what I love about know. that is because you never hear the computer get sassy like that, you know? Yeah, Last chance to be a hero, Doctor! Get going! Yeah, that was funny. Yeah. That was funny. Now, here's what I did like a lot. I like the aliens. Yep. 
because they were very different than most Star Trek aliens. They actually were kind of um, you. What, what did I put? Um, you started oh, to the, feel bad for like the one guy because he wasn't being respected by the rest of them. Yep. Um, they come back in another episode later oh, on, yeah. on, on with a, on, and it's a similar situation. But, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And he just wanted to be respected. That's all. The thing about it is like. What I love about those aliens is that you don't buy how threatening they are because they're like there's some there's like they're like almost adorable in some ways. They're just very non-threatening. Yes, and they have their very like they're trying like they don't think sound like when they talk it's like the worst stereotypes of nerds. Yeah. And I do like how they have to keep checking with the um what were they call the hierarchy. The hierarchy, yeah. The hierarchy agrees. But the thing is, I love the idea. Now, I love the premise of the doctor programming himself to daydream. But to me, it even gets better because I love the idea that like there's some aliens who just somehow are able to tap in tap into this, and they think that what they're seeing is real. Yeah, you know, there's a very yeah. kind of like, I mean, really, it's Galaxy Quest, right? It's the aliens seeing the TV show Galaxy Quest, thinking it's real, and right. they and they've got to, the actors have to come on and actually act this whole thing out. Yeah. And then finally, though, the Doctor does save the day by right. improvising. Jesus Christ, I never even thought of that either. It's fucking Galaxy Quest. Like, that's what that episode is. Oh, that's interesting. It's the same premise. Galaxy Quest, if you remove the meta part, yeah. it doesn't have the fact that, like, yeah, they're actors. And Galaxy Quest came out, like, a month after that episode aired. Fuck, I didn't even think of that. Well, Galaxy Quest is far superior. In my opinion. I mean... Sure. <laughs> also, uh, like breaking up with Bolana, that was really funny too. But I love the I, I, I what I loved is my favorite scene. I have two favorite scenes. I love the opening scene where he's singing the opera while trying to calm Tuvok down. Like he's changing the lyrics but keeping the tune of the opera. And then I love the end yeah. where he has to. Oh, no, you don't know it's a fantasy at first. Even when he starts going into Pon Farce, like it doesn't seem that far fetched. So. What I remember when that show originally... Now, I remember the trailer did not suggest that the Doctor was fantasizing. So you had no idea what the hell was going on. And so when I saw that, I'm like, what the fuck is happening right now? What is that? what is going on? Yeah. Um, and then I love the scene where he actually has to act out the entire thing. And make it seem like he's actually um, the threatening guy that he, real, that, he's, that he is in the fantasies. Right. Yeah. And it works. And the um, the hierarchy agrees. But I love the little side comments, like even when they tap into his um, when they're on the holodeck watching his fantasies play through, and like you see the pips come in one by one. I love the little comments, like oh nice. Harry's like this is the part I like, and they all appear, and then Janeway's like nice. <laughs> yeah, nice. by that point they had watched so many that yeah, they're starting like, to get into it. Nice Whereas time. like all nice the women time. you see are the female characters are all horrified <laughs> because yeah. it's just them throwing themselves at him. I mean, it's a fun episode, but I mean, what is it? I think it just got... It started to get tired. Yeah. Like, as we kept seeing the fantasies, and it's like, all right, it's another fantasy fight. Well, know. and this is also something... It was the first time. And this is also something like... How would this how would this premise be if, like, Data did this? Right? Like, th- this would have been a Data episode. Hand, yeah, no but Data's... Doubt, no doubt about um, it. Fantasy would be much more boring than the Doctor. Yeah. Right. It'd be like Sherlock Holmes, and right. Women would not be throwing themselves at him. Um, 
He's too nice for that. Um, but yeah, I think Data could have done this, but I, would it have been as good? I mean, it's the writing, obviously, right? But yeah, you I, needed that. It's almost like you need the personality of the Doctor to make it work. But the thing is, like, what I see in this episode is not just the Doctor; it's it's Robert Picardo himself. Like, this is this is utilizing him right. as an actor. Like, this is him. These are his talents. On, these are his talents on full display. Yes, and and what we I think what we know about Star Trek is if you're an actor and you have a particular talent, if you hound the writers enough, eventually they'll let you do it. Yep. Uh, Rebecca Romaine, Gilbert and Sullivan. In Lots Canada. of people, Gilbert and Sullivan. It's a really I think it's a it's a really fun episode and. As you get into season six and seven, like there are like a half a dozen episodes that just really center on the Doctor, and it's almost as if Robert Picardo was always really good in that role. And I would argue he actually has the best character arc of anybody on that show. Like think about yeah. what he started off as and oh, where yeah. he got to, right? And it's almost like they realized late in the show how good he really is and just mm. threw and just wrote all these different episodes for the doctor. And like, there's one in season six called, um, I think it's called virtuoso where they encounter this alien planet and he's singing opera and he becomes this like celebrity and they all <laughs> love him on the planet. And he's actually thinking about staying. <laughs> wow. They gave him too much free will. And then he, and then somebody on the planet realizes, like, oh, but I made my own doctor, and we can just program just program him to sing whatever we want, and then suddenly he becomes irrelevant. Oh. <laughs> and he That's doesn't funny. even... Right? And then he feels, like, all rejected and everything, and so... Yeah. Um, yeah. That one, I don't... I don't... Here's what I think. Here's, what, here's my theory. Yeah. So I think that the character that was supposed to be in this role of the doctor that he took on later was supposed to be Neelix. Hmm. But Neelix is bad. It's interesting because Robert Picardo has said that he actually originally auditioned for Neelix. Yeah. Yeah. It seems almost like they settled on Neelix being like the comic relief, the wacky one. Yep. But I think I don't know what the consensus of the fans is, but I really hate Neelix quite a bit. So I think and early down his presence in the show as it went on. I think early on, yes. I think that early on in the show, Neelix was sort of meant to be Voyager's more humorous version of Quark, and it doesn't really work all that much. No, and I blame the actor. The Doctor, in my the Doctor, in my opinion, speaks one hundred percent to Robert Picardo's talents because he was the one who was able to kind of find all of these things about the character that he could sort of exploit. I mean, if you watch the pilot, the Doctor's barely in it. Right. Yeah, he's literally he's just supposed to be a hologram doctor. That's it. And but he plays the character as somebody very annoyed because like he's a he's a because he's a program who's being used for things he wasn't originally meant for meant for. Right. And like it's this idea like there's an, there's a in like the third episode of the show your favorite character Kess comes into sickbay and wants wonders <laughs> if favorite. wonders if he can help her get some soil samples, because she's building, like, a hydroponic garden on one of the decks to grow veg fruits and vegetables and stuff like that. And 
he expresses this irritation because it's the idea of, you know, I've been programmed, and he just, like, laundry lists everything that he's been programmed with, like, the medical knowledge of, you know, 47 different Starfleet officers and this and that and all this other things. But, yeah, let me get that dirt for you. (laughs) You know, like, it's this idea that he's just being utilized for things that he's not meant to be utilized for, and he's, you know, there's even this great thing early on in the show where, like, people come into sickbay and they forget to turn him off when he leaves. And he has no control over that. And he's just... Oh, and, like, and like he's venting to Captain Janeway. He's like, I spent hours here with like with absolutely nothing to do. And he goes, when somebody does turn me off, they, they do so without asking if it's convenient. Mm. And like he just sort of like goes through this whole growth of like being very annoyed and having this horrible bedside manner. And then he eventually settles on the idea that like not only do I love being a hologram, but I'm like the best... I'm the best person on the ship. I'm so much better than all of you people. Like, it's great to see him, like, get an ego as years go on. Which is so great. Yeah. Yeah. And... He is a great character. I have to say, like, not that I want Picard to be the reunion show, but I'm telling you, like, if anybody is going to show up, I really want him to show up. Well, here's the thing that, interestingly, I started to think during this show was, what is Janeway up to at the time of Picard? Yeah. I really want to know, because, if anything, she's been through more shit than anybody. Yeah. So, I think, um, not that I think we should be, like, Star Trek colon Janeway, but, fuck, yeah. I'd watch it. But, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to know. But, again, I think this is where the short Trek format comes, comes in handy. Like, you could do a short Trek that just tells us what's going on with Janeway. Hmm. I don't know if she'd do that, though. Are you her agent? Yeah. No, but you know, I mean, she got she was she was very well. Um, yeah, regarded. Like, you'd uh, want to be more respectful of Kate. New black. You'd want yeah, to be, be like, more oh, respectful of Kate Mulgrew. Show, letting a five minutes short. Yeah, you'd want to be more respectful of Kate Mulgrew and give her like an episode of Picard or something like that. Yeah, I I, I get yeah. you. I get you. Um, I, I I you know, given how popular Voyager is now, and as I was saying, it's. If it's not the top stream Trek show, it's definitely one of. Um, Seven of Nine is an indication to me that I think that... I've no doubt that outside of the next-gen crew, we're going to see characters from other shows. Um, Yeah. And it would make sense, because Janeway was very much Seven's mentor in humanity. So it would make sense to see her at some point in Picard. As was the Doctor. Yeah. More so. Yeah. Um... I I would love it, but again, it has to... Even if they did it just because I'd still watch it and I'd still love it, but it has to make it has to make sense. It has to be done for a specific reason. Of course. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so to kind of wrap things up, I mean, I think... Voyager, to me, was not, was not my favorite Trek, right? I think that Voyager, to me, kind of bookends two eras of, of Trek. It's sort of the beginning of the ascension to its peak in popularity but it's also it's also kind of the show that was there for the kind of drop in quality as well because by the time you got to say season midway into season six maybe in the beginning of season six you began to see the kind of the formula was wearing thin and you needed to you began to see sort of the beginnings of what would eventually become Enterprise. Like, you need to kind of try to shake this up. 
I, you know, did Enterprise succeed? Mm. I mean, at least they changed the they changed the setting, right? But you really began to see sort of like the yeah, you just began to see the 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 kind of the gray hairs as it was of the franchise. It, it wasn't I, I don't see it. in my watching. I mean, I'm enjoying everything. Well, I think you know what it is. It's one of those things that you don't see that now. You wouldn't be aware mm. of that now, but back then, you have to consider like this is 1999. This is this is year. This is we're going into year 13 of continuous Trek on the air, and you begin yeah. to feel the show at that time. I remember feeling it back then. You began to feel it getting a little stale and a little kind of tired and just kind of less risk taking and not pushing the envelope forward, right? And fans mm-hmm. were kind of clamoring for that right around the time of Enterprise and even well into Enterprise. Like, you need to really kind of take new risks and shake things up. And right. that's and why then, I think Voyager was associated with sort of like the drop in quality with Trek, at least back then. Now it's an entirely different story. Is it a drop in quality or is it a drop in what people want or like not matching up with what people want? Because to say that it's just they've had too much of it doesn't mean it's not quality. Well, that's the thing. Like, I. I I'm only saying drop in quality because that's what I remember people saying back then. And you had made an interesting point earlier where you said that when you you talked about there was something about watching it, listening to the theme music, you felt kind of warm inside, right? And I said to you, yeah. oh, it's comfort food. That's what it feels like. Yeah. And that's what I think Trek felt like back then. It felt like comfort food. There wasn't really... I wouldn't say there was really a quality gauge. It was more like you just got used to it being there all the time. That whether it was good or bad, it didn't really phase you. You didn't walk away from the show that week going, "Wow, that was fantastic!" I can't, you know, there was none of that. It was just, it was just kind of, it just kind of existed. It was just kind of there. Hmm. Yeah. You know, and I maybe think- that's one reason I'm reacting so well to it is because I haven't had this kind of track in a long time. Because it is so different than what we have now. I think it was kind of like the way... I think you do this, and I've known other people that do this too. They can just sit there and watch, like, Law and & Order. And lo- they never get tired of Law and & Order. And I, and, I feel I like, and I feel like Trek at that time was sort of a similar case. Right? I can see that, yeah. Like, you kind of a problem. Like, yeah, because Law & Order is always crime gets committed. Right. Investigate, go to the trial. And this yeah. could be like... Ship is flying along, hits a problem, and I think figure out the science, make it happen. And you know what? And I think what I'm describing. I mean, I'm not saying I struck gold on some realization, but like, I think that's primarily why some don't are kind of put off by New Trek because it's not, it's not this formula, it's not this era of Trek. Like this is not the Trek. This is the Trek they want. When I say this, you know, they want. They want the formula of next gen DS9 Voyager. They want 90s Trek in a lot of ways, I think. And or they think they do. They think they do because. And then I also realized that well, that's probably what original series fans were saying when next gen came on the air, right? Yeah. Like, Too much talking, not enough punching. Yeah. So. I mean, I I remember feeling some fatigue back then, but it wasn't like. I was still going to watch it, but, like, it wasn't... I wouldn't say it was, like, what we would say today define as appointment television. Right? Like, right. It's almost like 
television evolved back then, but Trek did not. It stayed very much rooted in the in this eighties, nineties way of production and writing. It just it didn't evolve back then beyond that. And I think that was that ended up costing costing it in some ways. But I think what's really refreshing about you watching it is the fact that you enjoy an episode like Alliances. It's early episodes that I feel like don't get a lot, and especially an episode about the Kazon, like, do not get a lot of... Everyone's yeah, like, that oh, was yeah. great. Yeah. Because of the moral problem that she was faced with and the fact that her circumstances made her have to consider things that she would never consider if she was in the Alpha Quadrant. Yep, again, just tweet us at Star Trek We Trust. And, um, yeah, we're still waiting on the... Um, what the deal is with season three of Discovery. Um, but in the meantime, I can plug really quickly. I did get the short treks on Blu-ray that just came out on Blu-ray recently. And I picked that up. Um, I may incorporate a review of that into a future episode, but, uh, we'll be uh, forthcoming. Uh, yeah. The, any future episodes right now are kind of in flux because we don't know when, uh, Discovery is coming back. So we're kind of almost killing time until then. So. Yeah, but actually, one day I should just come over and we can watch like the short trek extras and whatnot, and then do an episode. Yeah, yeah. Well, we actually review the product, not the uh, episodes, because we already we already review those episodes. But does it have extras, bonus content? It does. So it, it'd be it would be reviewing the product itself, like the disc and yeah. what it gives you and everything like that. So um, yeah, yes, very good. So um, yep. So I guess thanks for joining us for this retrospective of Voyager. Uh, up in the air if we're going to continue with this because I feel like there are more episodes to discuss um, but this may be part one of this retrospective who knows could be depends if the fans demand it or not yeah we don't get demand on do you want show. more of these Voyager episodes as much as you want a Pike show let us know yeah and as you always say tell us what you're doing when you listen to us yeah, what are you doing? You on the treadmill? Are you um since we're still in lockdown baking, baking a cake? What are you doing? Yeah, since we're still in lockdown, what the fuck are you doing? Alright. Staring Peace. at your wall wishing you could leave. Yeah. Alright. Peace out everybody. Bye.